Good morning and welcome to Life Connection, a ministry of First Baptist Church of Joplin. We're glad that you're taking the time to join us this morning as Pastor Jamie shares an uplifting message with us from God's Word. This sermon was recorded from our 1030 service at our downtown location at 633 South Pearl in Joplin, Missouri. Luke 15. We're finishing up our look at Runaway. Third and final part of this uh, series, looking at the prodigal son. And as we've done the two weeks previous, we have read the entire story of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11 down through verse 32. I think it's definitely a story that we should become very familiar with if we're not already. So in an attempt to to, uh, be more familiar with it, let's read again the entire story from verse 11 down to verse 32 in Luke chapter 15. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and yet I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his son, his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now found. I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I read over this story, I wish it would have ended in verse 24. 
I wish that when we, in fact, in my Bible, I made a little mark right down at the end of verse number 24, because that's where I would have liked for it to have ended. I mean, it is a story of a son who marches out in self-will, uh, receives the inheritance from his father, and in essence pushes his father out of his life and says that his, by his actions that he has no plans to have his father in his life. And he goes out on his own and he messes up. He makes bad decisions. He, he spends his life, as many of us could see, in a life of sin. And finally he finds himself at the end of his rope uh, in the worst possible position, friendless, penniless, feeding hogs, he finds himself in a very bad situation. And that, again, that's something that we've talked about that many of us can relate to. Moments in our life, either as, as children of God or, or before we came to know Christ, where we were not living for the cares or concerns of our Father, that we were out of a right relationship with Him or out of a close, intimate relationship with Him. And there are those moments where we find ourselves in a spiritual or moral pig pen. And yet the son in that pig pen realizes and remembers that when he was with his father, it was never like this. He remembered the goodness of his father, even to his hired servants. And he makes this decision when he comes to himself that he's not going to stay there. He makes that decision that he is going to get up, he is going to leave, and he's going to go back to his father. And when he comes to his father, this is the part of the story that we, we seem to love so much, is that when the son is coming, the, the father sees him yet a great way off, and we, we understand that he's looking and yearning for the son to come back, and the father runs, and they reunite. And this father falls on his son's neck and is kissing him and bringing him out these gifts. And, and we just we want this story to end right there where the son has left, he, he went out on his own accord and he comes back on his own accord. We want that story to end with him coming back dirty and the father covering him and providing these gifts. And we want the credits to start rolling right then. But unfortunately, the story, or maybe fortunately... The story doesn't end in verse 24. Because the story tells us in the very beginning, Jesus said that this certain man had two sons. And for the first half of this story, it was all about the younger son. It was all about his self-will. It was all about the wayfaring path that he chose. It was all about unwise and wasteful decisions. It was all about him disregarding the father. But now that the son comes back in act two, it appears as though the older son is now taking the, the lead part and the younger son is now not even shown anymore in the, script, in the story. It is now the older son. And the older son, I would love to tell you that if this story was carried out, that the older son would come back rejoicing. That's the ending that we would like, that the older son was so worried about his little baby brother, and that he, when he heard that he was back, he ran into the house and he rejoiced. But that's not the story that we're given. That's not the story that Jesus told. I said something in the very beginning of this series. I told you that before we even opened to Luke 15, I said that we were going we to be talking about probably one of the more familiar or favorite passages for many Christians it's one that we love it's one that we love often because we can relate to the truth of the matter is that there's probably a fair portion of us in earshot this morning that can relate to that younger son the one that made poor decisions the one that ran from his father the one that was caught in a life of sin the one that turned his life repented and came back to a right relationship with the Father. There are probably many of us 
that can relate to that story. But the truth is that there's probably a fair amount of us who can relate to the older son. That when the younger son comes back and everybody's being happy, everybody's rejoicing, the older son didn't. And I want to, this morning, I want us to consider a few things in regards to this older son because just as the story uh, shows us that now in the second act of this story that the older son now takes center stage, it's only right that we should, having spent two services looking at the younger, now we should pause and look at the oldest son. I want us to notice in verse 25, his son, it says his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, and I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came and devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. There are several issues that the older son has. And the first issue it seems that the older son has is this. He feels that the younger son is unworthy. Now think about this with me for a minute. The older son has never left the house. He's never left the farm. He's never left the family business. The younger son receives his one-third of the inheritance, and he goes off and he spends it in this wasteful living, this sinful life, and he comes back. And when he comes back, he's been working this whole time. And when, he comes, when, when this younger son comes back, he gets his party. So when we think about this, we can understand maybe a little bit of the older son's issues that here he's never had a party and, and this younger son comes back after doing what he did and yet the father's all excited and all happy and is heaping all of these great gifts and all of these wonderful things that this son who has come back. And the older son is clearly wrestling with this thought that the younger son was unworthy. Now let me just say one little thing about unworthiness because there's really a particular way in which we gauge unworthiness unworthiness is gauged by that span that that space how much space there is between the greatness of the gift and the unworthiness of the recipient that's how we gauge unworthiness that span or that that amount of space that lies between the greatness of the gift and the badness, if you will, of the recipient. So even if the recipient was, uh, was a decent person, if the gift was by far greater than that, then we would still have that big span in between, a, a large space between the greatness of the gift and the, the character of the recipient. And this shows us just how far this span really is in light in reference to the younger son. Because the younger son does some pretty bad things. He does, in essence, tell his father that he's not concerned with him. He does choose to live a life apart from his family, considers everything before to be gone, and he's off on his own. 
He does engage in some very immoral activity. He does not contact the family the whole time he's out. We get this idea that that this son is bringing shame. Notice what the older son says. When the older son is describing what the younger son does, he says he spent all of his money on harlots. He spent all of his money on prostitutes. We look at this son, the younger son, being in that position. All of what he did, he ran away, considered his family to be of no value. He wasted all of the money and the things he wasted it on. And now he comes back. That's what he did. And when he comes back, the father doesn't reprimand him. The father doesn't discipline him. The father doesn't have harsh words for him. But the father, someone who was so... The young son who had done so many bad things received something so great as a father who is looking and longing for his son to come. And when he sees him, he falls on his neck and kisses him and commands his servants to bring out uh, the best robe, to put sandals on his feet, to bring a ring and put it on his finger and to kill the fatted calf because the feast and the festivities are about to start. The older son is looking at this saying that young son is not worthy of all that you have given to him. The older son is saying, look at what he did. Do you not understand what he did? The older son is engaged in an activity that probably every one of us at some point, I would hope every one of us at some point, has dove into. The older son is trying to get his mind around the parameters of God's love. He's trying to understand. He's trying to, to, to dive to the depths and stretch out to the width. He's trying to see to the heights of the love. He's trying to wrap his mind around and measure mentally the best he can the dimensions of the love of the Father. And the older son is saying, in light of how bad he is, I don't understand, in light of his unworthiness, I don't understand how you could heap all of these great things on him. And let me tell you something, it is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing that you and I have the ability to try to dive to the very depths of God's love. You and I have this ability and this freedom to try to to, to run this experiment of trying to understand even the width of God's love and the heights and how wonderful it is. And I tell you that we could exhaust all of our resources. We could use all of our mental capacity. We could wrap up all of our time in trying to get to the boundaries of God's love. And I promise you, this side of glory we would still never be able to reach the boundaries of God's love. Amen. He loves us deeper than anyone else does. His love is larger than anyone else's. Do you remember how David described it? Laying out on the fields, considering looking up into the heavens, he understood that even in the farthest star, even if his eyes could see the littlest light in the sky, believing that that was the furthest star away, he still believed that God's love was higher than the heavens. 
all of the words, all of the examples, all of the illustrations that he could possibly think of for something that was the absolute highest or furthest away, he understood that God's love was still greater than that. The son wrestled, struggled, trying to find the dimensions, trying to walk around the parameters of God's love, trying to get his mind around a father who would love and give so much to someone who has done so bad. The great news is, this father of these two sons is a picture of our heavenly father. A picture is something that is to replicate something that is real. If you walk into my office, you'll see that I have a picture of a lion on my wall. If that was a real lion, I would not be in my office. I would probably have fewer visitors. It's not a real lion. It's a picture of a lion. It's something that is to show me what a real lion looks like. And this picture of the father that Jesus is painting, this father that had two sons, he's painting a picture, and I love to be able to share this morning, that this picture that Jesus painted of this earthly father, that our heavenly father's love exceeds even that love that was demonstrated. If this is a picture of the reality of our father's love, I tell you that the reality of our father's love goes even further than what is demonstrated in the love of this earthly father. First of all, he felt the younger brother was unworthy. He had a second issue. First was the unworthiness of the younger brother. But notice the second thing. He felt that his father was unfair. He couldn't, again, when he couldn't wrap his mind around the depths and the dimensions of the love of the father, that he would be willing to show such greatness, such kindness, such love to someone who apparently in his mind was so unworthy of it, he comes to the conclusion rather than recognizing and accepting the the magnitude of the father's love, he begins then to to question or consider that the father is unfair. We know that he's saying considering that the father is unfair because now he's bringing himself into the picture, and he says, "If what you do, what you have done for this son, is based off of what he has done." If what you did for him, what you gave to him was based off of what he had done, then he wasn't worth anything. He wasn't worth you giving him anything. And then he comes back and says, if you're going to be fair, in essence, then what you should have done was given me something. Because I have not left. I didn't mess up. I didn't spend all of my money on, on prostitutes and wasteful living. The, son consider, the, the older son considered his younger brother unworthy. And he considered the older, or he considered his father, unfair. You know, there have been a few instances in Scripture where brothers didn't get along. Aren't you glad to hear that? So if you don't get along with your brother, I guess you could say it's scriptural. Is that right? I don't, I don't know. Let me give you an example of, of this older brother for a minute. There was really the first brother's. They really didn't have the best life together. 
I mean, they may have played in a sandbox for a little while when they were young, but then when they got older, it, it started to, to get a little more aggressive. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Do you remember Abel was offering an acceptable sacrifice to God while Cain was not? And Cain recognized that his sacrifice was unacceptable, but rather than taking care of it, rather than doing what was right, rather than doing what he was, should have and offered an acceptable blood sacrifice, what did he do? He went out and he killed his brother, Abel. Rather than actually taking care of it in a proper way, this other son, Cain, kills his brother. And when I look at the story of this younger, or this older brother in the story of the prodigal son, I see that when this brother comes back, it's as though he disregards him. He doesn't even care that he's there. This older son has such bitterness or resentment over the gifts of the father given to somebody so unworthy that he won't even go into the house. He won't even enter into the house where they are celebrating and eating and dancing. He's making his statement by staying outside. In my mind, I have this picture of him with his hands crossed, angry, resenting both the goodness of the father that was displayed at the unworthiness of his younger brother. This caused a tremendous divide in the family. There was another set of brothers caused some issues. You might remember that there was a man, a patriarch in the scriptures called Jacob. He had a bunch of kids, and one of the kids was his favorite, Joseph. And Jacob did favor Joseph in many ways and provided things for him that he didn't provide for the other 11 brothers. And what you may remember is that that caused some resentment when they saw the father's favor on Joseph Many of them began to resent Joseph themselves. And if you can imagine this, especially those of you that came from a family where you did have brothers or sisters, can you imagine that the Bible tells us that those brothers took Joseph and literally threw him down in a hole to leave him for dead and then later sold him into slavery? That's how bad this resentment between brothers, all because of the favor shown to Joseph. Joseph's brothers couldn't understand why Jacob was so good to Joseph. Cain couldn't understand why God would accept his offering but not his. Cain killed his brother. Joseph's brothers left him for dead and sold him into slavery. I believe that when we look at this story, we are able to read the beginning of it and see what the first step of the, son, the younger son's downward spiritual spiral was. We see him turning back and coming to the father. But the very scary thing, the very alarming thing about this story is we don't know how it ends. We know what the younger son did. We know the trek. We know his, his round trip. But the scary thing about this older brother is all we are left with is that he has very harsh issues with his younger brother. He believes that he is unworthy. Won't even go into the party to celebrate his return. Such resentment, such bitterness, such hard-heartedness. And then he begins to bring into question the character of his father. Guys, let me tell you. When we look at the younger son, we see, he, we see all the course that he went on. But in this story, we are left with the father standing outside the, sto- the, 
the house pleading with the older son to come in and to rejoice and be merry. We don't know if the older son ended up going in. I would like to think that his heart was softened and that he went in and loved his brother. That he went in and said, Dad, I don't understand how good you are, but I accept it. I would love to tell you that that's how it ended, but we don't know. If we base it off of the other scriptures where brothers were upset with the favor that their other brother received, it does not end well. He believed that his younger brother was unworthy. He believed that his father was unfair, giving an advantage to the younger while neglecting the older. And please notice the third and final thing this morning. He felt unnoticed. Of course, of course, it all now comes back to him. This is the basis of his argument. It's not simply that the father was now lavishing all of these gifts on this son who was unworthy. See, it all comes back now where it's not all about the son. It all comes back where it's not all about the father misappropriating some of the goods. It's not all about the unworthiness of the younger brother or the unfairness of the father. We get to see now the source of what the issue is. And the older son is saying that it all comes back to me. Dad, you never did anything like this for me. I have been by far better than he has. Remember I told you that we gauge unworthiness by the space between the gifts and the recipient how good the gifts are compared to the badness of the recipient and here the older son is using that that same attitude to say that he's way out here and you give him all of this there's such a span between the two and he's now saying dad i'm here he's out there i'm here and your gifts are not out here with me. They're here. The span is small with me, but with him, it's great. Let me say before we move on, I've been very critical of the older son. But let me pause for just a minute and tell you that this, the older son has done some very good things. In fact, if you go back with me into the Scriptures, look down into verse 28, or verse 29. He says, to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Let's stop right there with that phrase. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. He was a hard worker. He was diligent. He was dedicated. Now let me ask you something. Is dedication and a hard work ethic, is that a good thing? Absolutely. So when this older son comes back to his father, he's not coming with empty pockets. He's coming with plenty of ammo for his discussion. He's saying, if we're going off of the work record, if we're going off of what we have earned, if we're going off of what we deserve, well, then here's what I've got, Dad. He's got nothing. He's, he's lost inheritance. He's brought shame on the family name. He has run away. He came back dirty and shoeless and smelled like a pig pen. And Dad, I've never left. Dad, I've been here working the whole time. Dedication and hard work is definitely a good virtue. Notice what else he says in verse 29. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Not only have I been a hard worker and dedicated dad, but I have never 
went against what you have told me to do. Parents, how many of your children, how many of you can say that you've done that? Now, parents, how many of you can say that you did that when you were a child? Okay, now that we're all on the same, on the same page. That son is saying, Dad, if you told me to do something, I did it. It didn't matter what it was. Whatever you told me to do, whatever commandment you gave me to do, I did it. And here this son went off and did who knows what. Hard work, dedication, and incredible obedience to the Father are very good qualities. Noble qualities. There's something else about this older son that I think should probably be noticed. He says, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Just something I think we ought to notice is that the older son had friends. Younger son had him for a moment, it seems, and then he came back friendless, and he was friendless in the pig pen. When you look at the older son, he was hardworking, dedicated, obedient, and apparently he was likable. The older son never brought shame on the family name. The older son never has any record of ever wasting his father's goods. By all accounts, by all accounts, this older son lived a very good life. Obedience, hard work, dedication, friendliness, guarding and caring for the family name and his own reputation. But there is one thing, one thing, that the older son failed at miserably. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments, what the greatest commandment was, he replied by saying to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He said, and on those two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets, meaning out of all of the commandments, it all boils down to this, love God and love others. And this older son, he comes in from the field and he has this resume of all of these things. Dad, I've been obedient to you. Dad, I've been a hard worker. Dad, I've been diligent. Dad, I've had friends. Dad, I've never brought shame on the family name. Dad, I have guarded these things so that I would not bring shame. I have strived to live a very clean life on the outside. But on the inside, he could not love his brother. Guys, let me ask you something. It probably doesn't matter for many of you what your brother would do. You still love your brother. Why? Because he is your brother. Those actions, think about this, the actions that the younger son did in the far country, they were not directly against his older brother. In fact, if you think about it, I'm speculating a moment, but allow me for just a moment to suggest this, that maybe, maybe, the longer the younger son was gone, the more 
the rumors and the words of what the younger son was engaged in, maybe the more that was going on, the better the older son looked to the father. Maybe it made him look better. Maybe he began to get his identity now in not who he was, but what he did or didn't do. Oh, and then when the prodigal returns and the father's excited, it's literally a match to dynamite with the older son because now his identity has been flipped upside down and we see him now wrestling with that identity saying, Dad, I am the good son. Many, many notable, noble, good characteristics of the older son. But the one that is grossly missing, the one that is not there and it is glaring right at us, is that he would not even go into the house, would not even celebrate like the father did, that his brother was once dead and is now alive. He refused to rejoice of where the son was, where his brother was, because he couldn't get out of the fact of where his brother had been. Do you remember why Jesus told these stories? I told you that if Luke 15 is a ring, Luke, the story of the prodigal son is for many the centerpiece of the ring. It is the, the crown jewel of Luke 15 by many accounts. Jesus told the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the runaway son for a reason. And it tells us, look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. All of the publicans and the tax or all the tax collector, or excuse me, all of the Pharisees and the scribes are now complaining against Jesus. Why? Because he is receiving sinners. Because he's eating with tax collectors. He's eating with the moral outcasts. He's eating with those whom the religious folk would never eat with. So now they are getting a lesson in the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the Father's love, all to remind them, all to play out for them in a three-act play of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a runaway son. Jesus is telling them, this is how much I love the lost. He's inviting them to share in his love. I want to read something to you for just a moment. A few words. Because Jesus is clearly teaching is using this parable as a response to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. And just before Jesus goes to the cross, he pulls back this veil 
on the religious leaders. He has this moment where he is now addressing them. And even though they were religious and they appeared very moral on the outside, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, pulls back the curtain on these who were upset. These who were upset that Jesus received sinners. Let me read to you just a few words out of Matthew chapter 23, what Jesus said. He said, Then the scribes and Pharisees sat in Moses' seat. Verse 14, 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those to enter in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, blind guides! Woe to you, fools and blind! Woe to you, who, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies it? Woe to you! Who devour widows' houses? Woe to you who are like de- who are like whited sepulchres or tombs. You're white on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and hypocrisy. What Jesus was saying in this was not just to magnify the love of the Father, but to remind us that we can be very good on the outside, but the inside can be so incredibly corrupt. Let me suggest something to you. When we look at the story of the younger son and the older son, we might look at this and we would say, and rightly so, that the actions of the younger son are more heinous. That the things he did were were worse. We would look at that and say, oh, that is awful. And when we would think about all that he was engaged in and all that the older brother says about it, we look at that and we would agree. We'd say, we'd say those are definitely more heinous activities. But let me say this. Even though the younger son's sins may to us appear more heinous, I think that the older son's sins are more perilous because of this when the younger son found himself in the worst he could possibly get the bible said that he came to himself meaning he saw himself there was that moment of self-realization of where he had gone what he had done who he had become that's why he says i'll go back to my father and tell him that i'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me one of your hired servants it's because he saw who he was there was this moment of self-awareness the older son apparently has not had that moment of self-awareness the younger son recognized his sin the older son has not His sin, though he had many good qualities, was lacking in love for his son, and one could argue love for his father at this moment. The younger son, though he had very few, if any, good qualities, none in the pig pen, he recognized who he was and he came back. He repented. The father received the one who returned. But the older son failed to recognize who he was. You see, we can compare ourselves to others. But the Bible says that that is unwise. 
we can look at the actions of our hands. We can say like the Father, Father, I have served you. Father, I have done your business. I have done your work. Father, I have been obedient to you in many of the things. And we can look at ourselves and say that from the outside, Lord, I look blameless. But Jesus spoke this parable to the religious elite because on the outside, they looked good. It was the inside that was full of dead men's bones. One son who we would have thought would have been cast away was received. One that we would have thought would have been the best turned out to be in the most perilous situation because he failed to realize who he was. Thank God that God is able to search to the very core of who we are. That there's not a section, a corner, a nook or cranny of our existence that God is not able to examine. That from the very beginning of our existence, he knew who we were. He knew how we are formed, how we're knit together. He knows what we like and what we dislike. He knows what we make available to be seen. And he knows what we hide. Dark is light to him. There's nothing that he is not aware of. The problem is not God realizing who we are. The problem is not with God showing us who we are. He created us. He knows how to speak our language. He can communicate with us in a way that no one else can. And we can know that it's him. The problem lies in what are we willing to do about it. Maybe from the outside you say this morning, in your own spot and in your own heart and in your own time of being quiet, you may say, God, I may be like this older son. I may be walking in what appears to be a very obedient life from all accounts. I may be very attentive in service. I may attend all of the functions. God, I may serve you in various ways, but the inside, God, that you're showing me is what is deteriorating. God, I don't have love for others. God, I may be serving you like this older son. God, I may be serving you not as a son, but because I feel like a servant. I may be serving you so that I might get a party rather than serving you because of who you are. And the great thing about it is God never changes us. He doesn't delight in changing us from the outside in. He can use external things, but he always changes us from the inside out. So this morning, it's not so much about what you do, but why are we doing it? And God is the only one that knows. God is the only one. I, 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 I can tell you where I am spiritually, but that's it. I don't know where each one of you are spiritually. I can look at your lives. I can look at your attendance. I can look at your, your service. I can look at your speech. There are things I can look at, and by accounts, I can make a judgment based off of that. But I really don't know what lies in here. Only God does. And maybe, maybe. What God is saying to us is, I want you to take care in here. You've been working on out here. You've been working on your hands. You've been serving. You've been faithful. There, there are many good qualities. But the best quality is the love that you would have in here. And I pray that what we would recognize is that we worship a God. We worship a God who ran after both of his sons. Both of them. One of them he saw a great way off. But the other son would not come in. And the father went out 
of the door and pleaded, pleaded for him to come in, pleaded with him to deal with his anger, pleaded with him to deal with that lack of love and the bitterness and the resentment. This father ran after both sons. And it doesn't matter if you're in a pig pen or you're in the field this morning. Our Father stands ready to forgive you and invite you into the joy of the Lord that comes from a right relationship with Him. We hope that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. If you're without a church home, we'd love for you to drop in and visit one of our many weekly services. We offer ministries for every age. For more information regarding the church and the ministries we offer, visit us on the web at fbcjoplin.org. For prayer requests or to receive a free, unedited copy of this sermon, please call the church office at area code 417-624-4585. And thank you for being a part of Life Connection.